Yes, welcome, welcome, welcome. What's up? What's up? What is up? Back once again, it is the Incredible in the Black podcast. And in case you weren't aware, this is a podcast dedicated to covering the current events and social issues going on in your black world and covering it all from the perspective of three grown ass men who know that if it don't make dollars, it don't make sense. sense. I am your host, Big O, Mr. In the Black himself. But you know I can never do this alone. Let me introduce the rest of Two Live Crew. Say what's up, Crush. What's good, everybody? L, say what's up. I only know one member of Two Live Crew, too, bro. Just and, just say what's I, up. I don't even know who I crew. It's only motherfucking Luke. I don't understand what's going how on. You say hello but hey, you? how y'all doing? Man, I'll just try to clear it up for the people, bro. It's only one person. Hey, how y'all doing out there? <laughs> And if you enjoy content like this, please consider subscribing and following us on social media at In the Black PDCST on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you're checking us out on YouTube, please go ahead and hit that thumbs up button and subscribe so that you do not miss out on the content. Now, ooh, if you've been paying attention, a lot of you are probably familiar with our guest. Uh, she so eloquently and passionately described the plight and the experience of black people in America. And just for some of you guys, I want us to take a quick uh, refresher. It's not ours. We don't own anything. We don't own anything. There is, Trevor Noah said it so beautifully last night. There's a social contract that we all have that if you steal or if I steal, then the person who is the authority comes in and they fix the situation. But the person who fixes the situation is killing us. So the social contract is broken. And if the social contract is broken, why the fuck do I give a shit about burning the fucking football hall of fame, about burning a fucking target? You broke the contract when you killed us in the streets and didn't give a fuck. You broke the contract when for 400 years we played your game and built your wealth. You broke the contract when we built our wealth again on our own by our bootstraps in Tulsa and you dropped bombs on us. When we built it in Rosewood and you came in and you slaughtered us. You broke the contract, so fuck your target. Fuck your Hall of Fame. As far as I'm concerned, they could burn this bitch to the ground. And it still wouldn't be enough. And they are lucky that what black people are looking for is equality and not revenge. Please help me welcome the incredible author and activist, Kimberly Jones. Miss Jones, what is up? Hey, I'm just trying to speak for the people in these streets. Thank you. Everybody. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, sister. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate it. Fully now, appreciate it. Let's, let's get down to the meat and potatoes of everything. The video. Where, how did that come about? Was it spontaneous? So, like- yeah, it was completely spontaneous. It was just 
we were downtown and there was going to be another protest happening and we were hanging out downtown and I noticed all these people like cleaning up and I was trying to, you know, I just started asking questions like, uh, you know, what prompted you to come clean up? And I, I even asked questions like, where'd you get the cleaning materials to get the graffiti off the wall and all of this. And people had, you know, like spent their own money and um, came down with their own bags and organized their own groups to come down and, and like clean up. And it kind of struck me in an odd way because I had tried to put together, I'm here, I'm originally from Chicago, but I live in Atlanta. And I was trying to put together a community cleanup just a few months prior to that and Bankhead. Mm -hmm. And I got the city to donate a dumpster and I got an organization to give us trash bags and all of that stuff. And I like four people show up and we were only able to get like three or four streets cleaned in the community. So then I'm watching all these people downtown Atlanta, all of these African-American people downtown Atlanta, like cleaning up property that we don't own, cleaning mm. up property that on, a, on the right, in the right moment on a Friday night, somebody would like try to run you out of there. And it, and it upset me. And I started talking and David Jones, who is the documentarian, he was putting together a documentary about the civil unrest and what it was. He was out there and he was like, do you mind if I record this? When I started talking and he put he play and that's the video that came out. Um, I don't think that it would be an understatement to say that out of everything that we've seen, and we've seen a lot of talking heads come up, and I don't mean that disparagingly, I just say that as a descriptor, right? Mm -hmm. That was probably mm -hmm. the most powerful thing we've seen through this whole movement that's spawned. Um, I'm going to assume that your life has changed a little bit since that video dropped. Just a little bit. Um, <laughs> I definitely, the, the interesting part about it is a lot of people, you know, think that I'm like new to the movement and that, you know, mm. this video kind of like sparks my participation in the community. And that's not really true. I've been involved in community organizing and in many different ways as, since I was young as like six years old, honestly. Um, what this what this has done, the good thing that has come out of this is it's given me a platform and it's given me access to people who have the revenue to make some of the things that I've been working towards come together a little bit quicker, a little bit better. Um, and some dreams that I had dreamed that I started to get concerned might, I might be dreaming too big and they might not happen is made it so that they, you know, appear more attainable to me. So that's the biggest change. I definitely have a bigger following. Like I think I had like 2,500 followers on Instagram before this video. Now I have like, 215,000 followers on Instagram. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yes. All right. Yeah, it's like crazy. And it happened like that. Yeah, I got verified and all this shenanigans. So um, I think that's been the biggest change is that it, it just like, um, yeah, it just it just really like the doors for me to take my message like to a broader scale. And, and you know, and then initially I thought it would be like a national response, but it's proven to be a global response. Like mm -hmm. they just put a mural, 40 foot meter mural up to me in Belgium. And um, there's like a I got a hood mural in Oakland. That's the one I'm excited about. I don't give me a hood mural. Fuck Belgium. Yes. Give me the hood. Yeah, I know. Especially, especially Oakland. Especially Oakland. Yeah. Belgium. Especially Oakland. Yeah. Especially Oakland. Especially Oakland. Tell me how does that yeah, how does that make, like, you, how does that make you feel though? Like, 
<laughs> no, but tell me, how does that make you feel, though, overall? Just you know what? It made me... Response? I, I think it makes me feel more responsible, right? So it's yeah, like, it has yeah. put the onus on me to be like, okay, now, now that all of this has happened, like, what are you going to do now? Now yeah, that you have yeah, the world's yeah. ear, like, how are you going to use that for the betterment of your people? Like, how are you yeah. going to use that to push the envelope, you know, to push the envelope for it? So, and, you know, and some, and, you know, it, everything's been going so fast and been so busy. I haven't had a moment to get full of myself and be like, yeah, yeah. You'll, you'll yeah. get time. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, I haven't had time for that. <laughs> <laughs> I, really, I, really. I haven't really had, you, I haven't really had time for that more so than anything. It's like the phone calls are coming in. Like, I'm I've talked to people like in Parliament in England, and I've talked to you know, Bill, who used to be the chairman of the RNC. So it's like yeah. I'm having all these, you know, I'm having, you know, LeBron James is like, where should I send the money, sis? So I'm just like, cash up, hey, Elgin Bailey. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, come on, Boy, man. We got a guest. Hey, we all a part of the movement together. Can I get, can I get a bag? <laughs> <laughs> I'm out here. <laughs> Why not? Now, before you, became, before you became the face of the movement, you were a, or excuse me, my apologies, you are an author. And for those folks that don't know, she currently has a book out now called I'm Not Dying With You Tonight. Uh, she co-wrote that book with another young lady, I Gilly, right? Yep, Gilly Siegel. Okay. How did that book come about? Was, was that born from your own pain, your own trauma, or is it something that you had been working on for some time? The, the the interesting thing about it is how that book came to be is it, it was inspired by the unrest in Baltimore in 2015. So we Gili and I started working on this book in 2015. We saw an article about a group of kids who got trapped behind a police barricade because one of the things they did in Baltimore is they had heard the protests were coming, and so they closed down schools early and then they shut down public transportation and a lot of the kids in high school transportation to get home so they said they just they told the kids to disperse but they couldn't get home so there was this little news story where the kids got trapped um behind a police barricade and you know the the news wants to like you know center the riots and the things that they can sensationalize sure. but nobody ever circled back to that story and Gilly and I are both moms we both have teenage kids and we're just like kind of like and I don't our kids weren't teenagers yet they were middle schoolers at the time but we we're like what happened to those, you know, like what happened to those kids? And as moms, we got concerned. So we tried to call the school and track down the kids and see what was going on. So Gilly came up with this idea because we're writers, you know, a way for us to process it and use it as a tool. Like what could have happened to some of those kids in the night? So although it was inspired by Baltimore, we set it in Atlanta and it's about two girls, one black and one white who are 17 who have to survive the night together in race riots, that they're not part of the unrest. They just like these kids in Baltimore, they just got trapped out there and how they're trying to survive the night um, to get home. So it's a very fast paced book. The the timeline of the book takes place over about a, a period of about four hours as okay. these girls try to navigate the night. And the interesting thing is we wrote, we started writing it in 2015, we finished it in 2017. We sold it in 2018. It came out in 2019. And then this happened. So it almost feels like prophecy now. Right, 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 right. Does, now, a lot of the comments that we've been getting from our listeners 
was about the analogy, the monopoly analogy that you use in the video. I think that impacted people a lot more. Well, I'm surprised that it impacted people as much as they did because the, the entire video was incredible, but that's the one thing that kept repeating itself. Do you think that your mm -hmm. background as a writer, like, did you channel your inner, you know what I mean? Did you channel your inner writer and come up with that analogy or is that something that's been percolating in your mind for some time or? I, you know, I feel like the ancestors gave me that message. I'm not even being funny because I That's think that the, um, I feel like, I feel like, listen, I'm going to say the taboo word that everybody hates, right? I feel like they owe us some repetitions. And I oh, feel sure. like I'm not able to connect the dots on the timeline of the wealth. And so I feel like that analogy, the monopoly analogy made it clear to people how slavery and General and Tulsa and, oh, and Rosewood, and I can yeah. name a few more, Seneca Valley, Seneca Village, Nova Scotia, the, the, um, the sharecropper yep. uh, massacre of Florida. Like it's about 30 instances like Tulsa. Tulsa was the most brutal, but it's about 29 or 30 instances like that, that transpired. And for the most part, they, it was devastating to communities where black wealth had been built. And so I don't think people really make the connection between the wealth that was built during slavery, the wealth that was beat down from us during um, Jim Crow and how that's affected our standing now and how it has given quite the advantage to our white counterparts. I mean, you look at companies like uh, you look at companies like Brooks Brothers who made all of their original money because they had a niche market of dressing slaves. So when slaves were coachmen, when slaves were um, butlers in the home, they all got dressed by Brooks Brothers. So that's wow. slave money. So if you have somebody sitting on the board right now from Brooks Brothers or a descendant of one of them who's collecting a check, they're still collecting slave money. So if you want to talk about the general generational wealth that they've gotten from slavery, then you also have to acknowledge our generational debt. And so I think that's that's one of the things that the monopoly analogy is helping people to recognize is how that 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 game played out. And it's funny because I teach, there's an organization I work with called the Girls Who Brunch Tour, which is an organization that gives workshop and programming to foster care girls between the ages of seven and 18. I've been working with that organization for five years and that I do with them is workshops. And so last year, because um, they tour all around the country, last year I participated in the Atlanta stop. And, and what I taught, I had the older girls, the girls between 14 and 18, and I was trying to teach them how, I was trying to teach them about real estate as a way of building wealth. And I use Monopoly as an analogy to teach mm. them that. So it's kind of percolating in the back of my mind, but I had never framed it the way that I did in that video until that moment. That's why I was like, that had to be the ancestors. Like, girl, set the stage so we can get our money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and no doubt, no doubt. I love the monopoly <laughs> analogy, but for me, what had me feeling some type of way and I was excited, when you start talking about burning shit down, when you start talking about burning some shit that down, I'm going to keep it a buck because, and that's part of the, the conversation that we have as black people, when we are underneath this oppressive regime and we deal with all the bullshit from white folks and white supremacy, violence or that anger response is usually not part of the discussion that we have. We usually suppress that shit and keep it aside. But to see a black woman clearly expressing it like, yo, not only should we make a small fire, but we should have a bonfire with fucking marshmallows type a, of analogy. It was a, that it was, was a just a moment. Yeah, it was, it was a visceral me, moment. That it was, was a visceral what moment. really lit 
a fire underneath a lot of people, I believe, because again, violence is not one of those things that we usually have a discussion of when it comes to us dealing with oppression. Uh, we always adopt a non-violent, or some of us adopt a non-violent analogy or mentality. <laughs> some of us will whoop your ass. <laughs> uh, but my thing for you is one thing that I really wanted to know about is what is your your ideology, your ultimate goal, your solution, your thought in regards to dealing with white supremacy. How do you see it going? What is your dreams, your aspirations? Some of that shit. What, what do you think about it? Asking her like five questions in one yeah, letter. She, she's a writer. She can handle it. You be quiet. She got this. <laughs> Go ahead, sis. Please. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll take it in chunks and pieces, right? Um, in terms of, in terms of the terms of the the piece from the video, you know, my here's here's my issue is that I feel like we kept centering like they're having a, a peaceful protest and like this is happening and you know not all of it is this and so and, it, and this consistent use of the term peaceful protest as a way to appease people who were anti the movement and I'm like what Colin Kaepernick was doing was a peaceful protest and y'all wasn't rocking with that hey. and I've watched a lot of times where there've been peaceful I watched today on the I watched live on the news today with that older white lady Sheila Buck who was having a peaceful protest. She was peaceful. literally just sitting on the ground in a I and I I can't breathe shirt and they handled her like she was a dog and drug her out of there even though she had a ticket today. and she was not breaking any laws. And so and so it's and it's so it's like this notion that we are supposed to buck our oppressor in a way that's appeasing to them is a ridiculous notion to me. Like, I'm sorry, sir. I know you've been oppressing me and beating me. I want to know if the way in which I'm fighting against you is okay with you because if you you would prefer another way. I could, you know, we could have a peace. I could make sure I could get my my good friends together, and we could have a peaceful protest over here. If that's, I'm like, come on, like I don't, I don't owe you no doing it the way you want me to do it. You beating me down and you murdering me in the street, like you literally murdering me in the street, and I don't, I don't owe you to respond to that. Like somebody punched you in the face, you're not supposed to be like, now that was wrong. Now I would like to retaliate. Um, come on. Do you prefer a slap? Or should I call the authorities? I mean, how are we going to work with this? I mean. So it's this, this notion that we have to constantly kowtow as if though they are still our owners is upsetting to me. It's upset me and my mom, girl, because I'm like, if we can't cause a riot, then where can we go? You know what I'm saying? So it's like... <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, let me ask you, with everything that's going on, how are things in Atlanta right now, given the string of incidences that we've just recently had? How are you maintaining? Where's your mental space? I mean, we're just coming. It seems like we're just coming from one traumatic incident to the next one. How are you dealing with and what's going on in Atlanta? The Atlanta has, oddly enough, contrary to popular belief, Atlanta has simmered in the last like 24 to 48 hours. Um, it has simmered down a little bit. Um, but I think that the reason people had such a visceral response to um, Rashard Brooks is because the narrative that the people in charge here put out after the uprising here was this doesn't happen in Atlanta. And we we're like, hmm. You don't, mm. and it's like you. It doesn't. It doesn't happen to you. See, Atlanta is broken up into two distinct people. 
of of black people. Mm. You either balling <laughs> or you broke. Okay. You know what I'm wow. saying? And it's like the balling ones were speaking. And that's why I was like, hey, I'm over here with the broke people. Let me talk. Let me say something. Because what, what y'all got going on over there in Cascade and Buckhead ain't what we got going on down here on Simpson Road. Like, it ain't wow. that deal, though, what y'all talking about. Because it's happening over here daily. It's happening over here daily. Like, they setting up traps to get you for insurance and then putting you in the system and you got to pay $1,500 ticket that you can't pay. Now you're on probation for a year and then you can't show up one day because if you show up a additional day at your work, at your job at McDonald's, and then you next thing you know, they got a warrant out for you and they're arresting you. Now you're sitting in jail for 18 months because you don't have enough money to pay the bond. So I'm trying to figure out where it ain't happening in your city, uh, but you rich since you were 17, so stop acting like you understand what the fuck we going through, because you don't. Mm-hmm. That okay. Mm-hmm. So as you're so, saying that, right, mm-hmm. Did you, you? I'm assuming that you saw the video of T.I. and uh, Killer Mike when they were standing with uh, the mayor. How? Please respond. To how did, you, how did you interpret that? Because there was some mixed opinions there were some people that were all for killer mike and ti yeah. taking a stance yeah. trying to bring some calm to the city yeah. and there are a lot of people there's that were some like confu- you confused come from a different, here yeah you come yeah, from a different aspect guy. of things yeah You're it's very very strat- i'm from a stratified yeah. attitude there yeah. i was on the, the fuck ti right mike, i was sorry. like they all could have just let killer mike talk and been done with that whole press conference as far as i'm concerned like y'all should have let killer mike talk to the people and been done with it and been done and been done with it because I think he's the only person that understands that the people, the people who are out, first of all, let's keep it one thou wow. The people who was out there and don't watch the news. So they're not watching y'all in the press conference. Mm. Y'all should have let Killer Mike talk on uh, Instagram and sent a message and then everybody would see it. Done. Party over. Okay, I'm gonna ask you. Who watching the news besides my grandma? You know, me, because I gotta watch the news. <laughs> the question that comes to mind now that you're saying all of this, right? It seems that we have a lot more. We have a lot more black people of notoriety speaking out in this instance. There's a lot more white allies that are coming out and being more vocal and being more visible. The million dollar question: Do you think that? These incidences, people. this moment yeah, is different from any other period that we've we've been marching and praising and doing all sorts of things for quite some time. Is this is this moment different from the rest of them? I think it's very different I, because mm. it's not like again, like I said, it's not just like a national movement; it's a global movement, right? But I see somebody have posted in the the comment about Dave Chappelle. I think Dave Chappelle did say it best. This has been a this has hardcore been a movement of the people. Yeah. This has been the people raising their voices. And I think we've had a lot of white allies, but I think we moved past that. Dr. Brianna McDaniel, she is absolutely brilliant. She's another hood chick like me. And she just got a um, PhD from Cambridge. She has a brilliant children's book that deals with the unrest called Hands Up. Um, and what she says is we don't need any more allies. We need accomplices because allyship is is you could get online and tweet and you can make your little comment and you can send your $50 to NWCP and you're like, I'm an ally. But accomplice is like, I'm going to give props to the lady Sheila who was on the news today. That's an accomplice because baby, oh, when I tell you she was risking her life sitting out there with an I can't breathe shirt at that Trump rally today, even beyond, the police probably pulled her out of there low key for her safety. Crazy. 
to be honest, even though they did it recklessly, and I don't appreciate how they did old Sheila cousin Sheila, but we gonna call <laughs> Sheila, Sheila our cousin, our cousin Sheila. They probably really understood the weight of what could happen to Sheila if they left her there by herself in that moment with all those crazy people. And so my issue is like, that's the level of work we gotta expect from people is no more allyship. We need accomplices. We need people who are willing to risk themselves and risk their comfort because guess what? Growth is only come from only gonna come from discomfort. And I think it's time that people get a little uncomfortable and do what it is that they need to do in order for us to move forward. And I even say that to black people, you are no longer gonna to be able to just be like, I voted, I did my part. Yeah, no, you enough. didn't. You did not. That's not enough. And first of all, some shit. I mean. poor people vote and rich people lobby. And that's the facts. Poor people vote, rich people lobby. Yes. So if we want to get these laws changed, all those people, all those celebrities that was in my DM flexing that day, so they feel like, sis, what can I do? Keep it 100. You that's can put what some I'm money about. together and get some action so that we can start lobbying so we can get some of these laws changed. That's what we need to be doing. We need to we need to go to some of these cities, which is something that I'm working on. We first of all, we're mostly affected not by federal laws, but by our local laws. I live in Fulton County. Weed is decriminalized. I can smoke a blunt in my car, drive over the cab and get arrested. That's crazy. Be done. So it really is your local laws that are affecting you. So what do we need to do? I was I was the campaign manager for a young man here named Christopher Brown who was running for office in the West End. We came in second place. We came a very second place. Um, we were we lost to the incumbent. It's very difficult to beat an incumbent like the person we ran against because she had been in office for 30 years and a lot of people were just going to press her name because that's what they know to do. But I'm going to put all our business in the street because transparency is the only way we're going to start actually making motion because we have to share information with each other. We're going to get things done. We only spent, we only raised $10,000 for his campaign and we came in a close second and almost beat the incumbent incumbent with $10,000. So you could, you could, any of y'all celebrities, give me thirty thousand dollars, and I could start opening these seats one by. So it sounds like because it don't count, cost that much to get somebody in a city council seat. Nope. And once we get these people in these seats, then we could put together some PAC money to get lobbying money to get these laws changed. And then we can have start having state level conversations about reparations and what that could look like for our community in terms of both finances, healthcare, education, and everything that we need. We gotta work, we gotta move strategically. We cannot end this movement with all of this energy that we have and then go back to telling people to vote. No, y'all can't just get to vote anymore. Everybody do their part. And I don't expect everybody to be a frontliner like me. I don't expect everybody, but everybody gotta do their part. Y'all gotta do y'all part. You know what I'm saying? Having my crazy ass on this show, cardio part. You know what I'm saying? Like artists gotta start. We gotta start making our own propaganda posters. We gotta start the artists that are making. We gotta have more people getting on the bandwagon with people like J Cole and and making the music of the movement. We gotta have Mm. filmmakers start making scripted and not programming that's pushing the engine forward on the movement. If what you are good at is heading up the PTA, then you need to get all of them moms that work with you on the PTA together on a Friday movement and have a meeting. And y'all need to decide which one of y'all is going to run for office in your community where you know what you need. Period, Pooh. 
Now, given what we've just discussed, now are you are you satisfied with what you've been seeing from some of these folks, or is it just like we've been no, seeing yeah. and hearing this for some time, yeah. and I'm I'm expecting more? Yeah, I'm, I, I have been wondering is like does the energy feel now the same? If I, the energy definitely feels different, I'm I'm definitely going to say that the energy feels different. But I think what people need is some instruction. I think people need some guidance. I think people are like, I'm here. I'm excited. I want to be doing something. What is it that I need to be doing? And so I can't be the only one giving out the plans. I already know what I'm about to do. I'm about I'm about to do exactly what I just talked about. I'm about to start at, at a local level in my community. I'm about to start flipping these seats because it's a bunch of them. They got to go. And I'm going to do whatever I can do to get them out of there. You know what I'm saying? But everybody has to do that part. All of the so-called leaders and people in charge, you have to start giving people actionable plans. We Nobody wants any more empty speeches. Nobody wants I'm any more um, get out. Oh, nobody wants any more t-shirts like people want when people are reaching out to me when people the, and i'm talking about the people now yes. every day joe jane all of it Not what wrong. they want is instruction and they should be and if you are calling yourself being in a position of leadership no more speeches that's why i've been quite people have been wondering why i've been quiet for the past couple of weeks because i've been trying to put i've been talking i don't talk to i, I don't talk to I talked to the entire black membership of parliament in England on Zoom the other day. Like I have been making my strategic alliances to do what it is that I need to do. And I need all of the other leaders of the movement to step up because I can't do everything. Prison reform ain't my thing. You know what I'm saying? Defunding the police ain't my thing. But getting people in these political positions, that is that is my thing. That's what I want to do. And I'm going I'm to dig in and go hard on that. But I need the people concerned about prison reform to get on that and give the people actionable plans. I need the people who want to defund the police and I, I need us to change the narrative on that because that word defund is throwing people off when really what it is is a yeah, reallocation Yeah, that was going to be our next question. I need them you. to... Yeah. Yeah, I need them to get on top of it and give people actionable plans. The only the only people I've seen have actionable plans been getting their shit together is the people who are worried about diet. All the all the black farmers I know that have that are have black farms and stuff like that, they've been giving the people actionable plans. They've been setting up weekend events where they've been allowing people to come and get bags and bags of fresh fruits and vegetables for free. They're the only people I'm seeing doing as you look at brothers like 19 kings and different ones like that they're the only ones i'm seeing with actionable plans now what i gotta do in terms of this politics is gonna take a minute but trust me i'm working on it every day so i want the prison reformers i want to see what you got the defund the policers i want to see what you got the healthcare people i want to see what you got the only people making real strides in healthcare right now is an 18 and a 14 year, an 18 year old girl and a 14 year old boy who created the app the not okay app look them up those kids are fucking epic. They're the only ones I'm seeing doing real work in terms of black health care and they're fucking kids. Mm. And they're changing the world. So I need these grown people to get out their ass because the movement is being led right now by the youth, which is dope. And they have all this energy, but they need some wisdom dipped in that with some guidance and some structure. And that's why they out there throwing bricks and shit because we ain't out there. I'm a Gen Xer. I'm 44 years old. I was out there marching with my sister. We the only old niggas in the streets. And then a dude picked up a brick, looked over at me and dropped a brick because you're not going to throw a brick in front of auntie. <laughs> mm. I, 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 want you, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. Scary, and they need a little hood loving in these streets. 
Yes. I don't want to put you on a spot because I know that you're making your moves and all that, but let's keep it 100. Have you spoken to anybody from the Congressional Black Caucus yet? And if so, what are you hearing? What are they saying to you? Shit. Not a one. Told you. Told you. I talked to any. Told you. And I don't know why you we know, haven't really seen any surprise cowards. at all. Cowards. Full-blooded cowards. I don't know why. Why, why are you feeling... Why are you surprised, oh, 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 oh. You, you want to tell me that Kamala didn't call you, Corey didn't call Cow. you, Cow. Uh, Clyburn didn't call you. Bro, they, they too busy handing out the Kente cloth to the white folks. They're handing out the Kente cloth. They're kind of busy, mm-hmm. so... Yeah, they're, they're, they're still knitting. They're still knitting they're the next still the Kente, Kente cloth, cloth for, together. For, for, the, for the, yeah, they're still knitting. You know, they, they're still knitting. They're modeling the next... The next... The, the, the spring line of Kente Claus. Yeah, they're they getting that ready, bro. They're kind of busy with that shit, so they can't really. Okay. They don't have time for the system. They don't have time for it. You answered that question. It makes, it makes me a bit disappointed, but you've answered that question. My, my next question for you is, you made, you made mention of it. The messaging that we're getting out of this movement right now, you have people that want to abolish. You have people that want to defund. You have people that want just to tear the whole thing down, and who knows what they want to do. What do you think the messaging should be? And are you currently happy with the messaging? current message? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really I, I it's it's funny because I don't like the headline, but I like some of the details, if that makes any sense. It does. I feel like the, the headline is intentionally deceiving. And so it's gonna be very difficult to get people, even 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 people who might even have a little criminal intent themselves, it's gonna be very difficult to get people on board with the term defund the police because it sounds like an abolishment of the police and people are like I know we need to get rid of the bad ones but if this nigga come through my window I'm gonna need somebody to show up only problem is he might show up and shoot you but that's a whole other subject but so I think that uh I think that, you know, first of all, we need to change the narrative and that whole defund the police movement. It needs it needs PR overhaul because it's it's falling on deaf ears right now. And there's not going to be a lot that's going to get done with it. But I think when you look at things like what they did in California, I think that those are the right plans. Right. Because not that I want to come to the defense of the police because I don't because I don't enjoy their company at all but i think that we are to a degree as well asking them to be responsible for for too many things and too many situations like they they are not equipped to go deal with a mental health issue that's happening you know if you have someone that you've been alerted is is having a schizophrenic breakdown and they're in the middle of the street somebody showing up with a with a gun and a license to kill is not the way to handle that that's exactly what happened with jamarian robinson here in atlanta in in uh, 2016 who his mama still has not gotten justice for that murder where they fired over 90 rounds at that baby and 76 rounds hit his body but they had when they got the warrant they were told that he was a schizophrenia patient and that he may not have had access to his meds and that he may have an adverse reaction to them coming into this into this space um but it still ended in his death and that's because a a, a squad team full of people with guns drawn should not have been going to handle a warrant for somebody with a mental health concern you know what i'm saying and so I think we are asking them to do things. First of all, you can get a, it take you longer to get a barber's license than it take you to become a police officer. So let's start with the training. So they completely need to be retrained. And we also need to do health, mental health checks on them and make sure 
that they, you know, should be out there in them streets because some of them shouldn't be. And we also need to do some deep right. dive background checks. If you're trying to uh, be a police officer, then I need to do a deep dive check, not only on your record, your 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 uh, available, you know, public record, but also your personal records. I should be able to give you the right to dig deep, deep through your Facebook, your Instagram, Graham, your Twitter. And if you have, you know, white supremacist leanings, then you cannot police the people because you're not going to be able to just police white people. We also need to, um, there's an amazing book by a brother named Dr. Cedric Alexander called, y'all should get this book called Policing in the 21st Century, The Guardianship. And he talks about how we created this nature of the warrior cop versus the guardian who's there to actually you know guard the community um and so that we've gotten away from that and that even the way we've trained in the style of policing that we've trained has changed when you look at the uniforms that the police officers wear now it's a more militarized yeah. uniform as opposed to yeah. the let me get the cat out of the tree uniform that they used to wear back in 1965 <laughs> and we've lost that cat in the tree narrative when we're recruiting right so that's no longer what you see it's no longer can you come guard the neighborhood and take care of the people when you see the recruitment ads for police officers now it looks like a military recruitment ad they want to be rambo jumping over the car and kicking yeah, somebody in yeah. the back and that's not really the type of person we should be attracting if they're going to be dealing with the dispute between two business owners who trying to decide which city line they fall on you know what i'm saying and mm. so we we, ha we really have to revamp how we train officers how we secure knowing that they have the mental health and the sentiments necessary to be a police officer. And then they have acts, they, we buy them stuff they don't even need. They have war level stuff. Like that's for the Thank National Guard. Sure. That's yeah. for y'all take that money and put it in some schools with these schools with black kids where there's asbestos in the school and the ceilings are falling in and they don't have books and it's two or three kids sharing a book and they can't take a book home because you don't own it because it's six of y'all name in one book. Like there are schools that have a police officer but not a nurse. A police officer, but not a counselor. That shit is whack. Yeah, all the way whack. Yeah. yeah. What do you think the next steps should be? I mean, we want to see the. We have all the tools in front of us at this point, and at least we think we have all the tools in front of us. What do you think the next step should be to try and actually reach police reform? Outside of the voting and being political, because you've already addressed that, what else do you think that people can do? Mm -hmm. Because it feels like what's going to end up happening is that it's going to start to get extremely hot outside and folks are going to be like, now nah, I'm going to wait it out and sit in the house with the AC. The marching's going to stop and then everything's going to fall to the background. So what do you think the next step should be? They should. They should. Um go inside and get the AC, first of all, so they can stop. Um, and this is me included, because I've been out there on the floor. We all need to stop passing COVID around out there in them hot streets. So that's the reason for that. We got a damn pandemic. Most of them. It's out here hugging and touching, breathing and coughing. So, <laughs> so I think the next step is to take, as Keisha say, I ain't agree with much she said, but I did agree with this part. Take y'all ass in the house. And that's cool because you need to go into the house and get organized yes. and start having Zoom mm -hmm. about it. next steps in next your steps. community and start popping out some plans about next steps in your community. And you need to look at the cross-referencing between parties, right? So mm -hmm. if you want your Come community on. to reallocate funds, let's drop that term to fun. That, that's going to fuck us off. We ain't going to never get shit with that term. Um, if we are okay. looking to reallocate funds, then you need to put the pressure on the school board president and say, hey, hey, homeboy, 
school board president, you still want this seat? You need to go down to the mayor and the governor, and you need to take a meeting with them, and you need to tell them that the people are putting pressure on you to get more money. So you don't want a police officer in your school anymore. You would like to reallocate that money to a school counselor. You would like to reallocate that money to get the best asbestos out of the school. So we need to also look at, be very strategic and look at all the pieces and how they connect and how they affect each other and apply pressure in different places. So if I don't want a police officer in my school anymore because I want a school, a school counselor, yeah, I can put pressure on the governor and I should and the mayor and I should, but I also need to be applying that pressure mm -hmm. to the school board president and yep. then the principal at my school so that when the principal is going to the meeting with the school board uh, superintendent and he's going to the meeting with the mayor and the mayor is going to the meeting with the governor, they all like these crazy ass citizens about to burn this bitch down if we don't get that <laughs> officer out of there and get a counselor in. Hmm. Yeah, there's no doubt, no doubt. You've... I'm telling you, all that, this world needed some hood knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm extremely happy that you could come in and, and satisfy that portion that we've been missing. <laughs> I'm going to ask you, as a mama, you said that when you, when you wrote the book, uh, I'm not dying with you tonight, your kid, your child was, your son was in middle school about that, or middle school age, right? Uh, that's that's yeah. been some time he's now. So he's, now. Grown, he's almost a grown ass man, right? Come on, man. Don't no, he's so he's like nine or ten. He's four. He's fourteen, going on fifteen. Okay, okay, okay. He's my, my question to you is how when you're <laughs> when you're dealing with your son, when you're talking to your son, or when you're talking to uh, those young ladies in the program that you were talking about before. How do you address them or try to help them navigate the ins and outs when it comes to dealing with this white people? Thing called white supremacy or dealing with the police? Dealing with white people, sure. Well, the, the beauty of my situation is I let his daddy have those conversations with me because I, I mean, with him because I feel like he's not going to get better knowledge about being a black man than from the black man that he admires most, which is his dad. So I let Andre and Drake have those conversations and I leave that part up to daddy and he he has those conversations because there's an intimacy and an understanding there of that Come place on, that I don't have mm. access to that, that is that I leave that up to his dad. You know what I'm saying? Okay. And so I don't know what them conversations right. be like. You'd be like me and Drake went to dinner and I'd be like, okay. <laughs> and then you won't come in. I, <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. And I say this okay. to my sisters because I trust. I say this to my sisters. It's because I trust his voice and I trust his leadership in terms of the family. And you should not be putting anyone in your life, in your children's life, whose leadership you do not trust, as particularly when it comes to your boys. So Amen. I trust that whatever my son's father, whatever that conversation is like, is the right conversation. Absolutely. And I stay the fuck out of their way. Boy, 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 boy. So, mm -hmm. Now, when I'm talking to my young queens, when I'm talking to my young queens, I, I, I let them know that they should be both fearless and bold and alert like a soldier because a soldier is not just, a soldier just doesn't run into fire. He's very strategic about the way that he moves. Yeah. And I try to explain to them is that unfortunately we know we don't get the luxury, which is what yeah. white privilege looks like. I, this is why I've been trying to tell these white moms when I be talking to them, I don't have the luxury of being waiting in the tower for the soldier to come home. I am about to be 
to be Oya and be a warrior in these streets because that is the way it is set up because that my house is on fire and we have to put it out. My y'all are at war against my people. So I'm not I'm not I'm not Scarlet waiting at home to see what mm. happens after the war. Like I we got a sisters, we on the front line. They killing us too. That's not what we I mean we've been having a lot of conversation about the brothers, but let's not forget about Anna Taylor yeah, and many, many like on, her. You know what I'm saying? On, so when I'm talking to my young queens, I'm telling them that you have you you get to be bold. No one has the right to mute you, but you also have to be smart and protect yourself so that you live to stay in the fight and see another day. Miss mm-hmm. Jones, you have Where's my tambourine because I need a tambourine after that. Shit. <laughs> collection plate and all that. Today's been a day, boy. Jesus Christ. Uh, any words of wisdom? Because we typically end our show with a what's up, basically, words of wisdom or things that you've seen that you think you need to bring attention to. So, any words of wisdom for our listeners, our viewers, before we get out of here? Y'all don't need 200 people to make change. I'll take a strong 10 over a weak thousand any day of the week. And the homework that I give everybody to do to understand what I'm talking about is to Google Rudy Lozano. Google Rudy Lozano. Rudy Lozano was a Mexican-American freedom fighter in the city of Chicago in the 70s and 80s. And he worked for a very long time on immigration rights. And then he worked on building unions and making sure people would get a fair wage. And then he got into politics and he was robbed of a seat that he earned when he found out they had thrown out the last names of any Latin American person who had voted for him. And so then he got smart and he made he went and got Angela Davis basically vouch for him with the black folks and he formed this thing called the black and brown alliance and he realized Mm, that the only way he was going to move the needle in chicago was to make sure that black and brown people were moving as a unit and he made that happen and he what he started to do was started to flip seats almost all of the aldermen in chicago with the exception of a sprinkle of one or two were white at the time and rudy started going to neighborhoods with his mighty crew of about eight people including his wife lupe and they started finding out who in that community that people respected and they put the full engine of the black and brown alliance behind that person and they would flip that seat and they did that in about nine communities before he finally got to his big win which was getting Harold Washington elected as the first black mayor of Chicago. And he got to see Harold win, but he didn't get to see Harold take office because they came in Rudy's house, put him down on his knees while he was holding his two-year-old son and killed him execution style. But what that tells you is the power of what he was doing, how important what he was doing was. So don't feel like you got to take off this big bite If you get together 10 strong people who have access to resources and you start getting people in those seats in your community that represent you, you can make real change. You can make real change and it don't take a lot of y'all and it don't take a whole lot of money. 
Miss Jones, I want to say thank you. <laughs> thank you so much from the bottom of our heart. I know that you out there kicking it with folks like John Oliver, and I saw you with Trevor me. Noah. So for the fact that you took the time out <laughs> yes, to kick it with little you. folks like us, I am greatly appreciative. Shit, Please, before we get out of I here. I love doing black media because this is in the black. black. Like, <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about. Before we let you go, man, where can people find you if they'd like to find you? The best place to go is my website because that directs you to everything. So you can find my social media, my books, my merch, my events, my shenanigans, my tomfoolery. You can donate to the to the GLA, which is the organization <laughs> I'm starting, the um Georgia, uh, the Georgia Leadership Academy, which is where I'm gonna be grooming candidates to take some of these seats. So you can do all Good. of that from my website, which is www.kimjoneswrites.com. In fact, let me talk. Type it in the chat. Know how to do these? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, no, we got it. We got it. If not, motherfuckers gonna fuck it up. Well, oh, <laughs> the children will be disappointed if I ain't do this right. Um, you can find everything me right there on my website. No doubt, no doubt. Thank you. I appreciate it. Crush. Where can people find you if they'd like to find you, man? Oh, you can see it in the in the tag there. The orange crush with a K or the SP methods. <clears throat> L, where can people find you in your light skin foolishness, man? At Elgin Bailey, everywhere. And L, you don't I, have to take that abuse. Nah, he's going. He's going to take it every <laughs> single show. Knows, listen, man, don't do that. Don't, Come on, man. You can't. I've been real good, bro. I've been a Mama Jones. Yeah, it, it was in here. It was relatively well behaved. We were supposed today. to be right good here, today, bro. Was I was and everything. And I didn't talk about you, white people. I was quiet. You joined the team right there. I mean, your tone was a little off, but you know, a little bit. I was. You know, I'm trying to be right. nice, bro. We got black. And I am big. I give, I give you C plus. Black himself. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at mr underscore in the black. And I want to thank you guys for joining us for another incredible episode of the In the Black podcast. Remember, we want to hear from you. Help us continue these conversations by reaching us on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram feeds at In the Black PDCST. And as always, informed intelligent in the black in the black peace this is this is the in the black podcast in the black bro and it's down one of the best podcasts I ever heard though. I love y'all. Black podcast, they all like that before. Black. In the black podcast, they're on top. Who knows who watch Black up here? Chat me.